You know, I think uh, you would all agree that in, in any endeavor in life, it really doesn't matter what it is, the heart that is in it is critical uh, to making it happen. Uh, if uh, you want to pursue a particular career in life, if your heart is not in it, you're probably not going to get very far. If you're trying to improve your health, if your heart's not in it, you're not going to get very far. If you're trying to be excellent at a particular sport, if your heart's not in it, you're probably not going to get very far. And Christianity is, guess what? It's not really any different than that. Uh, in fact, Christianity is not Christianity if the heart is not in it. And you see that in a number of places throughout Scripture. If you think about Simon the sorcerer when he was converted by and to the gospel, he tried to gain some power that wasn't available to him. He wanted the, the power that the apostles had. And you will remember that Peter rebuked him on that occasion and told him in Acts chapter 8 and verse 21, your heart is not right with God. His heart wasn't in Christianity. Something else was motivating him. I think of Matthew chapter 15, verses 7 through 9, where Jesus says of the religious leaders of his day, these people draw near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips, or lips and mouth. But what? Their heart is far from me. And in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. Christianity is not Christianity if the heart is not in it. I have a book in my library, in fact, one of a series of books that uh, were written by J.J. Uh, Turner, and the name of the series is Wake Up. And there's an elder's wake up, there's a deacon's wake up, there's a Christian's wake up, and there's a preacher's wake up. And what the books are really is a, a call to wake up to the role or the responsibility that you have assumed. And in that book, the preacher's wake up book, he makes this statement. When a preacher walks into the pulpit, he takes more with him than a sermon outline and a Bible. He takes a belief system and he takes an attitude toward his role or his job as a preacher. In other words, he takes his heart with him into the pulpit. And I would submit to you that his heart determines everything that comes out of his preaching. What he does with that sermon outline and what he does with that Bible. Those two things will not override his heart. They will be funneled through his heart. And you know, when you think about it, really that's true of all of us, whether you preach, whether you're a deacon, whether you're an elder, we're all Christians at the core, if it be the case tonight that you've obeyed the gospel, we're Christians. But our heart is very important in who we are and what we are as Christians. And so it's true for all of us. Tonight, in just the time that we have, I would like to put before us some thoughts, 
centered around the heart of biblical Christianity, the heart of us doing Christian. And there are several components of that that I think are fitting for our consideration tonight. When you think about the heart of biblical Christianity, you, you have to think about a person's beliefs about God. What we actually believe about God. And, I, and I'm not, that's not, do you believe in God? Oh, yes, I believe in God. It's our beliefs about God that I'm getting at tonight. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 says, Without faith it's impossible to please Him, for he that comes to God must believe that He is, and, don't forget the and, He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Is that what you believe about God, that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him tonight? Or do you have some other view or idea? I know you believe in God, but what do you believe about Him? That God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. You know, some people think that God is like the Wizard of Oz. You know, there's this great idea about what you're going to find at the end of the yellow brick road but in the back of your mind, there's a great disappointment already because God doesn't do the things we expect Him to do. He doesn't do things the way we expect that He should. And we have a belief in God, but there's a little bit and maybe even a lot of disappointment. I've heard a lot of disappointment come out of the mouths of Christians in the time that I've been a preacher. People say things about that reveal their true belief about God. And I think, how? Why do you even keep up at this if that's what you think about God? I've known Christians who thought God was just a mean, cruel being that just punished and abused people. And I think, why do you continue to be a Christian if that's your belief about God? Or are you firmly convicted and convinced that everything God has said He will do, He will in fact do it? Are you like Paul when on his ship journey to Rome, when it became, came to his knowledge that there was going to be a shipwreck, and he was told that everybody on the ship would be saved, but they needed to stay in the ship. And I love the words there in Acts chapter 27 and verse 25 where he says, I believe God that it will be just as he it has been told me. I believe God that it's going to be just like he said it would be. It's going to unfold just like he said. And nothing's going to happen that's going to thwart what God has intended or purposed, is that your belief about God tonight? Or do you have this great disappointment mentality? I want to believe in this big God, but really, you know, I'm just kind of disappointed. I hope not, because that demonstrates a heart that's really not into this. You believe in God's omniscience, that He's all-knowing, 
Do you believe in God's omnipotence, that He's all-powerful? Do you believe God knows the world that He created well enough to give us a book that with the instructions that we need to live the life that He's put us in this world to live? Do you believe that tonight? Or do you believe that God has just, quite frankly, left some things out? And He didn't really assess the situation well enough to tell us everything we need. I've heard Christians say that. I've heard Christians say about some of the Bible passages that if you gave them an opportunity to state it any more clearly than it's stated, they couldn't do it, and yet they will say of those passages, I wish God had been more clear. You know, maybe that's the role of grace and salvation or the role of faith the role of works in salvation. Maybe it's God's will on marriage, divorce, and remarriage. They'll say, I wish God had been more clear, as though God didn't know what we needed to know to get it right. I worry about that mindset because it reflects a heart that's just not where it needs to be in its belief about God. And so what are your beliefs about God tonight? Number two, what are your beliefs about Scripture? You see, at the heart of biblical Christianity is true conviction about the Bible that God has given us. Some people look at this book and say, well, it, it contains the words of God, but I'm not so convinced that it is the Word of God. And you might think, well, what's, what's the difference? Well, there are some things in there that they have no trouble with, but there are some things in there that they have a lot of trouble with, and they're not really sure whether those things should be in there or not. And so it, it's just a book that's got, you know, it's like plagiarism on steroids. It's got some of God's plagiarized will in it, but there's a whole lot in here from men that's not really God's Word. I hope that's not your belief about the Bible tonight, but it, it is the belief of some people who claim to be Christians. Jude verse 3 reminds us that we're to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered unto the saints. God's given us His Word. And we should accept it as that. If, if not, how do you make sense of passages like 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Well, what is that? Is, is that just certain passages in here? Or is it all of them? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished to every good work. If it only contains God's Word, and if it's not really the sum total of God's Word, what can we know for sure? You know, Jesus said in John 8, 32, you should know the truth, and the truth should make you free. But how do I know what's truth and what's not truth in this book if I don't believe that all of this is, is from God? Is it a literal book? Am I to take the things that it says literally? Like the creation account. 
You know, we live in a world that's confused about where we came from, how we got here. Uh, was, was it a, a cosmic explosion that resulted in what, what we see today? Just, just a fluke accident that just happened to happen? And then look at all of the intelligent design that we live in and are. And so we read Genesis. Is that just an attempt on the part of man to kind of explain away how we got here? Or is that a literal account of how we came into being? Jesus' resurrection, do you believe? That Jesus actually went into the tomb and that he came out of that tomb alive? Or is that just some motivational story that's supposed to, to create us in us a zeal and a fervor to live according to a, you know, a lifestyle that's really no different than any other spiritual motivation that exists today? Is there something different here? What, what, is, what is your view of Scripture? Is the Word of God sufficient for us today? You know, a lot of time has passed since this book was compiled. And we live in a completely different world in many respects than the world in which this Bible was injected. So is it sufficient for us today is it a dead, or is it a dead letter? I think of Acts chapter 20, verse 32, when Paul, with his heart in it, spoke to the elders from Ephesus, and he said, I commend you, brethren, to the word of God and to his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. Paul was convicted and convinced that Scripture could do everything God had said it would in saving men, keeping men saved, and leading them to an eternal home in heaven one day. At the heart of biblical Christianity is our belief about Scripture. Is it the Word of God? Is it sufficient? Has God given us everything that pertains to life and godliness in it? And can we rest our hope on what this book says? I hope that's your heart about the Word of God tonight. Number three, at the heart of biblical Christianity is our understanding and our beliefs about the church, the body of Christ. Now, we, we started in Acts chapter 2 with one church. Let me back up. We started in the preaching of Jesus with one church. Let's back up even further than that. We started before the foundation of the world with one church because that's what Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10 says. That the wisdom of God before the foundation of the world, God's manifold wisdom is made known to man from all eternity. How? How do men today know the manifold wisdom of God by the church, Paul says. God's eternal purpose and His will is revealed by and through the church. 
And then, of course, Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, that he was building one, my church, just one. Ephesians 4, 4 says there's one body. Colossians 1.18 says the body and the church are one and the same. So there's just one. And it's been that way since the gospel was first preached on Pentecost. It's been that way since Jesus promised to build that church. It's been that way since God in His eternal wisdom purposed to build the church as a vehicle through which humanity could and would be saved. Now, there are a lot of them today. They're everywhere. Thousands of them. And we scratch our heads and we say, well, if God is so great and if His Scripture is so solid and He only wanted and intended to have one church, why are there so many? And you see, as Christians, we begin the, that doubt starts to circulate in our minds. Yeah, one, but there's not one today. They're everywhere. But you know, we were told that was going to happen. God knew so much about it that He told us this was going to happen, that there were going to be others that popped up. Just part of Satan's effort to confuse. confuse. I think of Acts chapter 20, verses 29 through 30. Right where Paul told the Ephesian elders that the word could build them up and give them an inheritance among those who are sanctified, he also warned them that there would be those who came along teaching perverse things. And even from among themselves, he warned that that was going to happen. So it's not like we weren't told that Man was going to make confusion out of the one church that God had purposed and built. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 says, Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines and devils. What are they doing? Their conscience is being seared with a hot iron. And they don't care that God from eternity said one church. They're just doing their own thing. And I think of Matthew chapter 15, verse 13, where Jesus said, every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. I've told you before, I love Brother Marshall Keeble, but he would say in his sermons about this passage and about the denominational world that exists today, he would say there's a rooting day coming. And God's going to root up all these plants that He didn't plant. And I don't want to be hanging on to one of those vines. I want to be in the church that God purposed in His mind before the foundation of the world. But I'm saying all of that to say that today some Christians aren't quite sure that it's even possible for one church, the right church, the true church, to exist. They're just not convinced. How do you know that? Well, because some Christians believe that there are people who are headed to heaven in religious institutions and organizations, not only that God did not create, but who teach things that God didn't tell them to teach. Teach many different ways of being saved. 
teach many different ways of worshiping God. Just different. And they do things that you can't, you can't go to the Bible and say, I see why they're doing that, because that's what that passage says they should do. There's a lot of confusion out there, and there's a lot that's wrong out there, and some Christians are confused by that. And then they think, well, you know, maybe, maybe it's wrong just to think that there's one church. I'm telling us tonight, at the heart of biblical Christianity is our belief about the church and the oneness of it. God will only save the citizenship and the occupants of one church. And that's the one that Jesus Christ built and purchased with His own blood. Number next, number four. What about our beliefs about the lost? People who are lost in the world. Caleb talked about the gospel this morning and did an excellent job in that sermon. The lost need the gospel. But do you believe tonight that there are lost people in this world? Let me ask you this way. Do you believe tonight that there are religious people who are lost? Do you believe tonight that there are people who call themselves Christians who are actually lost? Because they're not Christians according to the Scripture. See, some, sometimes Christians have trouble with this. And they don't want to take the step over that line that says, in their minds and their hearts, that there's a right way to do things and then there are some wrong ways to do it. And people who do it the wrong way are in jeopardy of losing their soul. But at the heart of biblical Christianity is the conviction that there are lost people. There are lost sincere people in this world. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 24, if you do not believe that I am He, you'll die in your sins. And Jesus said in Mark 16, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. And there are a lot of people in this world who claim to be Christians, followers of Jesus, but they have not followed that pattern. Are they lost? Or are they saved? What you end up with is just this this idea or this heart of acceptance where you think that, well, you know, God is so full of grace and He's so full of mercy that just in the end, He's, he's just going to accept everybody. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 27 says that there'll be nothing that defiles that enters into heaven. And those, only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life, will enter in there. And so not all people will be saved. Not all religious people will be saved. God has gone to the great work of telling us what we must do in order to be saved. Now why would He go back on what He said and what He's required? You know, we might do that. You know, a parent might tell the child, you're going to be grounded because of this. I mean it. 
but the, gra the grounding never materializes. We forget about it. And then that takes us right back to that Wizard of Oz like God. You know, he's not really a big enough God to hold true to his threats. But I'm telling us tonight, they're not threats. They're promises. They're promises. And a holy, merciful God is also a holy, just God. And he won't go back on his word. He just won't. And I need to know tonight that there are lost people in this world and without the gospel, they'll stay lost. And I need to know tonight that there are a lot of church-going people, but they're not going to the church that Jesus built. And they're lost. And I need to look at my heart and make sure that that's the heart I have. Because I'll never do anything about it to their benefit otherwise. Number five, and finally, when we think about the heart of biblical Christianity, we have to get to our beliefs about preaching and teaching the gospel. You know, some people get mad. Some Christians get mad at sermons that, that draw lines, that say there's a definitive right and there's a whole lot of wrong. Our world doesn't like that at all. If you say there's one way, who are you to say that? Well, I'm not saying it. I'm just reflecting what God says. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus said there's just one way. But you can't even say Jesus is the only way today in religion. Because there are other religious systems that try to go to God in other ways other than through Jesus. And so sometimes Christians don't like it when we draw lines. But if we're going to have the true heart of biblical Christianity, our preaching, our teaching, our living has to reflect that God is serious about this. Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is power of God unto salvation. People need the gospel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21 records where Paul said that God chose by the foolishness of preaching to save people. Well, it's not foolishness. I certainly don't think it is. But a lot of people look at this and say, well, that's just foolish. What a waste of time. And maybe some Christians think that way. But it's not foolish. It's God's chosen message, preaching and teaching the gospel in order to help people to have a heart that will save them in the end. Our heart determines our attitude, it determines our commitment. I think it's a worthwhile exercise for us tonight to ask ourselves, where is my heart in these things? Where is my heart when it comes to my beliefs? Listen, not in God, but about Him. What, what do I really believe about God? 
I think it might surprise some of us if we went through that exercise, what we believe about God. What do we believe about this book? What do we believe about the church? Just one. Can, can we swallow that? Or does that give us spiritual indigestion? One church. There are lost people. There are people, there are good people. Honest, sincere people who are in a lost state tonight because they haven't bowed their knees to Jesus Christ. And you do that not just in word, but by submitting to His will. What are my beliefs about proclaiming the message of the gospel to people? Because I might think, well, it's hopeless. They don't want to hear it. It's embarrassing to talk to people about the gospel. I'm ashamed to do it. That's not the heart of biblical Christianity, and that's not who God has called us to be. So hopefully, tonight, we've been challenged, all of us, to think about our heart. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart, one preacher said. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, you need to obey the gospel. God, God is all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's all-loving. He's all merciful, but He's all just. He can't be all without being all of everything. And His justice is just as full as His mercy. And in His wisdom, knowing the needs that man would have, He put the gospel into play, a plan by which we could be saved. Now we have to hear it because that message, this message produces the faith that we need in order to, to come to God and please Him. But that same message teaches us we have to turn away from sin. We have to repent. We have to confess with our mouths that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, and we have to be baptized in water for the remission of our sins. Not because that's just what the Church of Christ says, but that's what the Bible says. And it says it plainly and clearly. And then you have to live a life of faithfulness with your heart in it. So maybe you need to obey the gospel tonight. We certainly want to help you do that. But maybe you're a Christian. Maybe your heart's not in it. And hopefully tonight you and I have been challenged to fix that, to get our heart in it, and to be all about the heart of biblical Christianity. If you're subject to the invitation tonight in any way, why don't you come as we stand and sing? Thank you for listening to this recorded audio of a sermon that was preached at the Roanoke Church of Christ. If you would like to visit us, you can do so at 608 Dallas Drive, Roanoke, Texas, 76262, or you can visit our website at roanokechurchofchrist.org. We hope to see you soon, and may God bless you.